Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. Man, you're going to love this uh, All Ball series. Um, we'll get to championship week, conference picks, all that other stuff. But uh, this weekend is really a celebration of, I think, inarguably the greatest career in the history of college basketball coaching. Mike Krzyzewski is going to retire. This is his last regular season weekend. They play North Carolina at famed Cameron Indoor Stadium. Um, so I was trying to figure out who's the best, the absolute best Duke guest to have, because look, Duke is not only synonymous with college basketball, obviously synonymous with, with USA basketball, but I also think that, um, there's so many guys to choose from, right? You have media personalities like Jay Billis and there's a great Jay Billis pod. If you want to go and search it uh, in our archives, he's amazing. You got Jay Billis, who, of course, as a broadcaster, is the greatest Duke broadcaster, former player. There's Jay Williams, who is an unbelievable player and is a broadcaster as well, as former uh, kind of broadcasting teammate of mine. You got J.J. Redick, who, of course, is kind of synonymous with a a, a time period in uh, for Duke. Uh, he's become an outstanding broadcaster of an outstanding uh, NBA career. There's Shane Battier, there's Grant Hill, there's Bobby Hurley, there's like you kind of go through it. And then there's coaches as well. I, I thought Steve Wojciechowski was the perfect guy because he's the only Polish point guard he ever had. Um, he was kind of he's synonymous with Duke, really, from style of play to leadership ability to coach on the floor to becoming an actual coach at 21 years old to being a part of those national championship teams, couple of them to taking on his own program. And I've also kind of been following his journey in his year off. And we've gone back and forth about when to do it and how to do it, whatever. And he was more than gracious with his time. So uh, what you're going to hear is uh, two days of conversation, me and, and Wojo, and we kind of go through, parts of his playing career, parts of his assistant coaching career, and parts of his Marquette career, and a lot of perspective on life. It's uh, it's it's really good. Uh, so without further ado, here's part one of my conversation with famed starting point guard at Duke, former assistant coach at Duke, former head coach at Marquette, Steve Wojciechowski. 
Um, let's start here. Let, let's start. You're in high school. Okay. Uh, freshman year in high school. How good were you? Um, I was, I was a good, a good young high school player. So, you know, I actually played on the JV team. I went to Cardinal Gibbons high school in Baltimore city. Um, and it was at that time, it was one of the better Catholic league basketball programs, uh, in the city. And I played primarily on JV. And then every once in a while I got called up to varsity, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, if you saw me play as a freshman, you would have said, man, that kid's going to play at the highest level. Uh, my journey was a journey where every year I got a little bit better. And my freshman year, I was good, but not, not spectacular by any means. When did you grow? And, and I know what happens with, with guys like us. They're like, well, you never yeah. grew. Like, no, it's <laughs> not really. When did you? Because I, I stayed back and I, I grew a ton. I grew from like five feet to five, nine ish. When I entered high school, when did were you a would you a slow progressive grower as well, or did you have a did you have a spurt? No, I, I I grew incrementally. You know, there wasn't like one summer like some guys you read. You know, he was five four as a freshman, and then he was six two as a uh, a sophomore. That wasn't me. I kind of grew slowly um, and then stopped. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I wish I wish I would have grown a little bit more. So your, your dad, remind me, your dad worked at the docks, right? Is that right? Yeah. So um, I'm actually recording this podcast in my childhood bedroom. That's uh, so visiting, cool. Visiting my folks. So my dad was a longshoreman. Uh-huh. So basically, uh, when the cargo ships came from all over the world into the port of Baltimore, um, he took care of it. He loaded it, unloaded it. Worked on the rail yard, worked in the sugar house. Um, did a, he was a blue collar worker. Uh, it's funny too because you know I get asked, I got asked in in my journey all the time. Like your dad was a coach, right? I was like, no, he was a he was a longshoreman. I'm sure he wished he was a coach, uh, but he was down at the docks uh, at the Union Hall trying to get whatever work he could get to provide for our family. It's it's, it's amazing because so my grandpa was. Uh, he was an accountant, but in order to put himself through school to become an accountant, he actually, him and a buddy bought a truck in New York, right? And so he'd take night classes and then without going to sleep, they'd drive down to the docks in New York City, right? And they would buy fish and then they would go deliver them to restaurants throughout the city and, and on to Long Island and whatever. And then he'd sleep all day and then he'd do it again. That's how he, so, and then he became a car dealer. Because as an accountant, you look at somebody's books and eventually he took over a car dealership, right? But he never, he couldn't, he couldn't understand my dad's infatuation with basketball, right? He just, you know, he couldn't, like even in 81, my dad got fired at UWM. I don't know it was fired. They went division three from division one, whatever. I mean, it wasn't, it was, wasn't a good, good deal. And my dad was trying to get him to buy the, the New, New Jersey Nets, for a million dollars trying to get him to buy it. And he, again, he looked at their books and like, this is a crap business. No, thank you. Why don't you just run my, why don't you just run a car dealership? I want to, I want to retire. And my dad was like, I want to be a basketball coach. So I asked you that because your dad's a longshoreman. He's putting in a hard day's work every single day. Right. And you have this, I'm sure at some point you have this dream of playing basketball. How, 
what was he like in terms of your journey? And was there a, this is crazy. You know, you're my son. You're not going to be big enough. You're not going to be tall. Like, what was he like in terms of your belief in self and how much he kind of bought into that, that belief? Yeah, he was great. Uh, you know, my dad was a really good athlete in high school. Um, you know, but coming from a Polish family in, in Southwest Baltimore city, you know, like in his father was a longshoreman. That's kind of what you did. Like you right. went to high school, you, you, you finished high school and then you went to the docks to work and provide for your family. And so that was like, th that's what he knew. And, you know, again, I think he was very supportive and, and he worked incredibly hard to provide for my brother and my sister and I, so we could live a life uh, that he didn't have a chance uh, to live. You know, I joke all the time. I, my dad loved weekends and holidays, not because it was time off, but because he could get paid time and a half, or he could work on holidays and get and get two times the pay. Um, but he he was he was really supportive, uh, and he set a great example of work. And I think that was that was probably, and it didn't necessarily come from lectures. It it came from watching him. I mean, I've not met anyone who worked harder for my than my dad. And he did it with uh, the goal in mind to provide security and safety and opportunity for his kids. And so if I, I believe as he saw me work, especially on the game of basketball, uh, he wanted to encourage that passion and that work ethic. And he, you know, he, he would always tell me like, you know, you're good, but you need to go, you need to go there and play and see how good you are. Or, if you're not working, somebody else is. And those lessons, um, even though they, again, they didn't come in the form of like, let's go to the, get out there and work, man. Like, I know, you know, you have a bad game, you're upset, like get back out there and do it again. Like nobody's going to feel sorry for you. Like you put your boots on and get to work. And th those lessons uh, were invaluable to me. So I never really feared failing because I knew, you know, like, as long as I was giving my all and giving the best effort and pursuing something that I loved, there was no failure, regardless of where it took me. Now, fortunately, it took me a lot of great places, but there was no guarantee of that. So what, what is a summer between your freshman and sophomore year? Because so I was I did the JV and varsity thing as well, right? And I remember first time I dunked was that summer. It was at maybe spring afterwards. We had like a spring league game or whatever. We were like in warmups and I went up and dunked. And I, you know, like, you remember becoming the varsity point guard of sophomores. That wouldn't happen for you. Yeah. So I ended up uh, playing on the varsity as a sophomore and, and we were the rest of the guys who started and played a lot uh, were primarily upperclassmen. And and we had a really good team. We won the Baltimore Catholic League. There was uh, a number of other college players on the team at the time. And here I was, uh, this you know little white sophomore point guard trying to find his way on a on a good team and, and a heck of a league. Um, but again, it wasn't like I was all conference. I, I was I was a really good sophomore player. And in in the Baltimore area. I think for my age, I was recognized as one of the best, but certainly not the best. Uh, so there was always a carrot out there for me in high school, which uh, I'm glad there was. When, when did it 
when did it take off? Because the first time I ever saw you play was at ABCD. And you and I have talked about this before, but you played on a team that was like a, everyone else played on a team from their region, right? <laughs> that, that, that year, it was in uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan, right? It was at Eastern Michigan University. So you were going to be yeah. a senior. I was going to be a junior. And you had a team, you had, you had like two other Americans, one kid from Indiana, I believe. Yeah, um, Brian Hanley. Brian Hanley, right? And then who was he? Was that the only only other American? Was there two? No, was there, one no there was another. Uh, there's another American player from the Dakotas, and I and his name escapes me. But okay. the rest of but the, the rest of them were all foreigners, right? And then you had a translator on the bench. Yes, we did. I mean, it was an incredible experience, and and you know, you asked kind of when it clicked. Really, it was after my junior year. Um, you know, my junior year, I, I was I had established myself as one, myself as one of the better players in the city of Baltimore. And after my junior year ended, my high school coach was a huge five star guy, Colonel Ray Mollis. And so I, I you know, I, I went must have gone to 12 five star camps. But after my junior year, I went to June Honesdale and June Honesdale was one of the better of the weeks of five star. And so at that camp, Stefan Mar- Marbury, Vince Carter, most of the best players from the Eastern Seaboard. And again, I, you know, at that point, my recruitment was mid to low major. And in fact, really, as I looked forward, I, I anticipated choosing between the University of Pennsylvania with Fran Dumpy and Princeton with Pete Carrell. And I, I tell you what, a kid from Baltimore, son of a longshoreman, I mean, you, you end up at either one of those places. It's like a dream come true. Well, for plus, and for people like, let, let's jog people's memory, that those Penn teams right there, then you had Maloney and, and Jerome Allen. Allen, right? You had Matt Maloney, pro, Jerome Allen, pro. So I, I think what happens now is if you look at it through 2022, you're like, yeah, Penn, Princeton, Princeton was good back then. No, 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 you don't understand. I don't know if you would like, I think that when Maloney and Allen, I had never watched Penn play before. And I remember my dad, like, you need to watch, you need to watch this, these kids play. Cause Maloney's dad was, uh, was a coach. And I was like, yeah. they're bad boys. So man, they were ballers, man. Yes. Yes. I mean, in no. today's day and age, those teams would be top 25 teams. So is Baltimore a Virginia town or a Maryland town or a Georgetown town? Like what's, what is like most guys who grew up in Baltimore, they, they envision themselves playing where? Well, I grew up, my, the first team I loved was University of Maryland. And, you know, like most kids when they're eight, nine, 10, their superheroes are from the Marvel comics, right? Like Superman, Spider-Man. My first hero was Len Bias. You know, I had Len Bias posters on the wall. Um, and I can remember some of my, my first memories of watching college basketball were watching Len Bias play. I mean, one game in particular at the University of North Carolina, uh, Warren, you know, he dunked it and Warren Martin took the ball out of bounds and tried to inbound it to, to Kenny Smith, I believe. And he stole it and reverse dunk on Warren Martin, who was a seven foot, you know, seven foot center. And I'm like, this can't be real. This guy is not. And so I, I love the University of Maryland. That's like the first team I love. 
And so Baltimore, I think, is definitely a, a, a terrapin town. There, there's no question. And, and there's been some over the years, there's there's been some discord uh, between Baltimore and, and Maryland. Uh, but, you know, I think most of the people in the area I grew up were were Terps. It's, it's interesting. Like, you know, you talk about your the lessons you learned from your dad, the lessons we learned from basketball. Like I remember the when Len Bias died, I remember that was that was my don't do drugs. Right. Right. Was, right. 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 Like you didn't have you, I didn't need Nancy Reagan. I didn't need anything else. Right. Right. right, Len, right. Uh, I was told Len Bias used cocaine and died. That was like, OK, I'm never using cocaine because Len Bias is like a, a superhero. And, you know, that that was that was the that was that was my my memory that that was how it. I was that that's how wired into sports and basketball I was. Um, OK, so now your junior year, it starts to click at five star. So go I go to ABC. five star yeah. and probably have the best week of basketball in, in my young life. And I end up getting most outstanding player at the camp. And you got to remember, like Vince Carter is pretty damn good. Stefan Marbury, although, you know, people don't remember him. But at that time, you know, he, he was incredible. Um, and a lot of the really good players. So that, that was a surprise. I think, I, I think I was surprised at that, but I, I think that woke people up a little bit like, all right, maybe Penn and Princeton aren't like the ceiling for this guy. And Howard Garfinkel, who I was incredibly close with at that time, after the camp called Sonny Vaccaro and basically called in a favor. So I got this kid just one most outstanding because I wasn't invited to the camp. And so Sonny, I mean, Garf called in a favor to Sonny and said, you, you probably need this kid at your camp. And so fast forward, I get invited to the camp. And it, I remember arriving at the camp and everybody already knew what team they were on. Team California, Team New York, you know, Team, you know, Florida, wherever. And I didn't. And so, like, as I'm going through this, I'm like, something's missing. There isn't a team Baltimore. Uh, and that was actually my first time I've ever been on a plane was the flight of Ypsilanti, Michigan. What? Yeah. First time I was ever on a plane, the flight of Ypsilanti, Michigan. I go there. Like, I'm seemingly what it, it feels like me. I'm the only one who doesn't know what team they're on. So I go up to Sonny. And I introduced myself to Mr. Ricardo. I'm Steve Wojciechowski. I know you talked to Howard Garfinkel about me participating in the camp. I don't have a team, and, but I really love to play in the camp. And, so, you know, Sonny's moving a million different directions. And he's like, all right. And he passes me along to Gary DeCesar. And I get put with my team. So I'm, as I'm walking over to my team, I'm looking at my team like, my team does not look like the other teams. <laughs> they, it, it does not look like team california and so as i go up and i'm like i'm sitting there i'm going okay there's brian hanley and this is dude from south dakota me and like eight other white guys who like are not speaking english and i'm and i'm trying to put it all together because things are happening fast i mean right. Three weeks ago, I was in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, sleeping in a, you know, sleeping in a fort with a bunch of dudes from New York City, you know, as a camper worker, you know, filling up Gatorade or Kool-Aid cups for the campers. And so they introduced me. It's like, it's the international team. I'm on the international team. And none of the international players, most of whom were from Eastern Europe, Russia, Eastern Europe, 
spoke English. And I'm sitting there going, wow, this is going to be interesting. And, you know, for me, in hindsight, Doug, it probably couldn't have worked out better. You know, if I, I, I would totally have gotten, agree. They played way I, better. Way, they played it condu- basketball conducive to how you played. Otherwise, it would have been on some other teams, the wrong team. I mean, like, look, for me, I was lucky. Sonny let my dad and my dad coach the team because at that point in time, like, it would have been break the press, throw it up, and somebody else go one-on-one. And he right. demanded that we run a little structure, right? But yeah, it, it it did. It was actually like we used to come over and watch. Like, dude, they play good basketball, right? right. So, Coach Wagner, Coach St. John's in DC, was my coach, and and it because of the structure of our team and the international game, sharing the ball and the ball moves and working together, and allowed me to run a team, to run an organized team, as opposed to like in order for me to stand out, like I got to, I got to go show myself one-on-one, which would not have been a good thing for me. And so we played, we played really good basketball, even though I didn't speak, you know, Russian or, or Czechoslovakian or Polish, like I was able to lead and I found great comfort in my teammates. And I think my teammates were comforted by me because i played similar to what they were accustomed to. And we won a lot of games. Yes. You know, the first, first game we, we played team New York with Kareem Reed and, and guys like that. I mean, really good, really good. And we, be, and we beat them and people were like, what is going on here? And so again, circumstance, like if you would have, if you would have drawn up prior to me getting on the plane and said, this is what you're walking into. I would have said, there's no way. But living it out, it was the best thing that happened to me. So I went from being recruited in a span of less than a month from mid-majors, Penn, Princeton, to Duke, Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. And my life changed, like, really in in the blink of an eye. And it, 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 you know, it came so fast, it was almost hard to believe. Um, But it was, it was incredible. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferreira, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is 
finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Um. Okay, so the first time you speak with Coach K or one of the assistants, how, how did, because my memory is you'd get home from camp and suddenly now you do that to return calls or the phone would be ringing. But, and for you, again, it goes from one level to a much higher level. What was the first contact with Duke like? Well, when I got back, you know, again, and this was the landline period, right? Like you had, you had the phone on the wall, you didn't have cell phones. So there wasn't a lot of different avenues to get to people. So the phone's ringing off the hook. Because, again, I, I went from, like, a regional recruit, a good player that if you were from the Mid-Atlantic, you probably knew my name and thought I was good. But that was the extent of it, too, nationally. So, so like, every type of school is calling. And, and um, you know, it's funny. When I got home, like, things went back to normal. Like, mowing the grass, <laughs> doing my chores. So, you know, like, a couple coaches was like, he's going to have to call you back. He's mowing the yard. So when I talked to them, they're like, your parents make me you mobile yard. I'm like, yeah, that's just the beginning of it, buddy. And don't don't like come across to them that that's a bad thing, because that's the last time, you know, you will. So what, what, what were, you, what were your chores? What were your chores? I've always been there. I've always, always throughout my life been the garbage guy. Always been the garbage guy. Um, we didn't have in California. We didn't have enough grass to be out. We, everybody has a gardener or whatever. But I had. I was garbage guy. Um, we had like one night a week. We we had I three kids. We had three kids. So one night a week I had dishes. 
I'm um, trying to think. We had a my dad had a had to make your bed before he left the house rule. Right, right. right. And, and, and I'm trying to think what my other chore was. Um, oh, I had to pick up dog poops. I was I was the right. I had to pick up the dog poops. And at that point yeah. in time, I was I was my brother and sister had were in college or out of college or whatever, and so I was the only one picking up the dog poops because it was basically my dog. What was so? What was yours? You had mowing the grass. Anything else? Mowing the grass, you know, and, and for for my family, it was like if you like there wasn't an allowance, like if you wanted money, you had to earn it. And so I had to mow our yard, but then I mowed, you know, four or five other yards in the neighborhood to make money, you know, whether it was gas money or whatever. So like I, I was pushing a mower or, or, you know, riding a mower quite often. Uh and it was, it was great. It was like my first job and uh, I learned a lot from it. So, you know, again, my mom did a ton around the house. Uh, she, she definitely spoiled us. So I, it wasn't like, you know, a ton of chores, but the mowing the grass car, you know, car, I had to carve out a number of hours to do that with all the lawns I mowed. Okay. So, so who, who'd you speak to first? Was it, was it coach K? Was it Pete Godette? Who was it? Yeah, it was. It, so I spoke to Coach K first, and that was surreal. Because, you know, I mentioned earlier, Maryland was like, and Len Bias in particular, yeah. was like my first uh, love. But shortly after that, it transitioned to Duke. You know, I, I, would, I would imagine in some respects, yeah, in some well, so, respects, so was it, was it, was it cause he was, was because Coach K's Polish? Or was it Bobby Hurley in those teams? Like, or, I mean, I guess maybe the whole thing. Like, for me, it was Bobby Hurley was, White point guard, look like me, coach's son, right? Tougher than hell. And I love those, I love those Duke teams, like loved. Yeah. What was it for you? Yeah. Well, I love Bobby. You know, yeah. I love watching Bobby play. Uh, but it was the whole thing, too. I mean, Bobby, that team, uh, and the fact that coach was Polish. I mean, I can remember, you know, going, you know, different events in my dad's side of the family, proud Polish family. It's like, look at the, look at that. You know, like there is Polish guys can make it in basketball. Look at that that guy from from Duke, and I can remember that when I was like nine or ten. Like, yeah, you, if you like basketball, there's a guy who coaches Duke who's Polish too. It was like one guy <laughs> that people would would point to. So it was uh, uh, it was it was all of that, and, uh, and 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 by that time he was an icon, right? I mean, it, there was. Seven out of nine Final Fours was the back-to-back -back championships. It was not only the fact they won championships, but how they did it. It, it was all of those things. And and you got to remember, six months earlier, <laughs> the phone wasn't ringing off the hook. You know, it was. You know, I would get letters, and there'd be occasional calls, but it wasn't at all like the barrage I got post ABCD camp. And then, so it was hard for me, you know, I, I think looking back at it to, to even think like, holy, you got a chance to go to Duke. Like you're talking to Coach K, you're talking to Dean Smith, you're talking to Rick Pitino, like what is going on here? You know, I was, this is, you know, six months, six weeks earlier, I was by myself, you know, shooting hoops in the driveway, playing beat the pro, dreaming about like outplaying Kareem Marie. You know, and, and then it's wait, 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 wait. You know, so, so you have a you have a hoop in your driveway? 
Yeah. So driveway, uh, neighbor's driveway and in the backyard, no cement. Neighbor's driveway. Okay. So, so my driveway, my parents' house was like on a slant. So, uh, and this is before, you know, my, by when I was in high school, they got me one of those ones that rolled out and I could put on the yeah. curb so I could shoot in the street. But growing up, I had to go like six houses down. My brother's buddy, this guy named Garrett Phipps, and Greg liked going down there not to shoot hoops, but because Garrett's dad had Takate girl picture posters in his garage. So, <laughs> like, barely dressed. So, they would go in there and they'd be yeah. checking out, drinking a Coke and check. And I'm shooting outside, and I was a little annoying brother. So, they closed the garage door, but that was great for me. So, I would, play, I would play imaginary games. It was a flat driveway. I would shoot hoops, but I would also be Brett Musburger or be uh, um, Howard Cosell and announcing the games. And I would play, I would play the imaginary, imaginary game. So what was beat the pro? Is that a setup game that you had, or is that just in your mind? You had, you made up a game. No. So essentially it's like you, you choose who you're playing against pro, you know, high school, you know, whoever hoop scoop ranked the number one player in the country I play against, right. Clark Francis. And then, you know, like for every shot you make, you get a point. For every shot you miss, whoever you're playing gets three points. And so you you basically decide the number you're playing. They're playing to tw- 21. And you didn't then, go one on cone? You didn't do cone drills and, and, uh, and one-hand layups? And- yeah. No, no. And, and this is the thing that, that, you know, again, and those people are, are well-intentioned and you know, you always kind of need a hook to get people excited. The thing I love the most about basketball, one of one of the things was the use of my imagination. Yeah. Like the games I dreamed up in my head and the things I did in my head were, uh, yeah, I mean, they were, it was incredibly powerful, I think, for a young kid. You know, a lot of, you know, whether it's kids can use Legos or other toys or for me, it was basketball. Like the things I would dream uh were incredible and and the fact that some of those dreams came true is is mind-boggling to me it, it, it it's 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 that's all that's an amazing way to have that perspective um okay so what's coach k like like he, you first start talking to him what's he like uh, one i think you know first of all he came across as a normal human being <laughs> that had done extraordinary things. Uh, a great sense of humor. You know, obviously he played on the Polish thing quite a bit. Um, so we we had, I think, common background bonds. Um, but I was in all, it was, it was hard for me, especially at the start, to like think of him as a normal human being because this guy that you watch on TV do incredible things with incredible people and players. Um, yeah, I, I remember being pretty quiet uh, and just listening. And I could listen to him talk for hours, even though we weren't necessarily on the phone for hours. Um, did he, did you ask if he was offering you a scholarship? Did he like, you know, I, because, because, Sometimes there's the dip in the toe in the water call and you're on their list and they just want to kind of hold you there. Sometimes it's the, we want you. So you start talking to him and it's kind of deity sort of status. Did 
Did he offer you a scholarship? Did you ask? Was it not right away? How did it take? Yeah, place? it was. It was. It was. It was right away. And Coach Bray uh, tells a great story. You know, as they were watching me at ABCD camp, there was there was debate, right? Like, I really like the way he plays. I like the things he brings to the table, but like he's small. He's not particularly fast or quick. He's not really a great shooter, although he can make shots. Like, is he <laughs> is he good enough? And and so I think they had that debate, which was a logical debate. Yeah. Um, and I think Coach Bray tells the story as they were walking to the car, and he says, "Look, Coach, if he can lead a bunch of effing Russians, he can lead our team too." Um, and so the scholarship came shortly thereafter. Uh, the ABCD camp. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was all in. It was, it was, you know, again, like I said, it happened quick. It went from some really good opportunities to like opportunities where I'm like, Whoa, this is for real. Did you take a visit? Did you take all your visits? How'd that work? So I, I, I remember having a meeting with my high school coaches and my family and Basically, because my recruitment changed, I had scholarship offers from like the whole spectrum of schools. And my high school coach was like, you need to narrow this down. But I felt loyalty to some of these schools that had recruited me for a long time. And, you know, even mid-major schools and schools that sent me the first letter and all that stuff that kids go through, right? Like, I feel loyalty to them. And so, you know, we had a big list and we got it down to like 12 schools. And finally, my high school coach was like, look. It's nice what you're doing, and I understand what you're doing. Like, but you got to make a decision. Like, are you, do you want to go for it? Meaning, like, you need to commit and say, like, I, I believe I can play and be a good player at this level instead of having the Dukes of North Carolina, the Penn Princetons, and the Towson State on the school because they, uh, you know, they were the first to the party. And so that night, I commit, you know, basically committed to like, I'm going to go for it. With more conversation, my final five schools were Duke, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, and St. John's. Okay. And St. John's, St. St. John's was a little bit of a favor to Garth. Uh, um, now they have was Tariq Turner before you or year? You no, he's the same. Tariq's my year. So here's you know, what's interesting about Tariq Turner. He was my AU teammate up until. I think eighth grade, he moved to Virginia. Yeah. So like, I remember like my, one of my, the first, our first big East win at Notre Dame was against St. John's. And here I am guarding a guy that I literally grew up playing in the same backcourt with. Right. And it was, right. it was, it was, it was nuts. Um, so did you take all five visits or how'd you do it? So I, I visited Wake Forest first and uh, Dave Odom and, and Jerry Wainwright was the assistant and Jerry was a big five-star guy and coach Odom was a big five-star guy as well. So I knew those guys well. Cause I, you know, at that time, like I saw them <laughs> all the time because I'm essentially my summers, I lived at five-star. Um, so I was very comfortable with them and the great people, great coach. So I visited Wake Forest first and, and uh, story I'll never forget their freshman class uh, a year ahead of me was Mactar Njai, Ricky Peral, and Tim Duncan. And 
you know, this was preseason. So, you know, you didn't get the early matriculation where the freshmen came in in the summers and, and coaches could work uh, a lot in the preseason with teams. You were still bound by NCAA rules, which was at that time, very, very limited. So, you, you know, the pickup games you'd hear and coach was like, you know, we, we have a great freshman class, like Maktar could play anywhere we beat you know, whoever they beat to get him. Ricky Prawl was a stretch four from Spain who was highly touted European player. And, th- and they said, you know, the third guy, we're probably going to end up redshirting him, but he may end up being the best of all three. <laughs> and it was Tim Duncan. And uh, I remember going to meet him in his dorm room and he was sitting Indian style, you know, with the Rastafarian shirt on playing the guitar. And I'm like, this guy's going to be the best of the three. Uh, but damn and if he wasn't what was your Duke visit like it was great again it was it was awesome that was my second visit so Wake Forest and then Duke and they were back to back um it was great Chris Collins was my host um still one of my best friends to this day you know and, and the Duke campus is spectacular I mean it's gotten any better since since I'm at school but feels it doesn't feel real and Regal, then you walk into Regal word or because okay, here's okay. So I, I had never been there until I was there a couple weeks ago. And um, I remember walking and there was, there was a little bit of Notre Dame to it in that there's a city and then it feels like separate sort of from the city. It feels, feels a little bit more spread out than Notre Dame and a little different setup. There's not the two lakes like Notre Dame, but um, like it, it is, it, it feels like you're going to a special place. Like I always thought when I was at Notre yeah. Dame, I was going to school in a museum. Right. 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 It's right, like, right. like I'm, I'm like, I don't want to break anything. It feels like a museum. Now at Duke there's, and Notre Dame's kind of like this now where there's some of these really beautiful glass buildings where they kept some of the architecture and then some of the more modern stuff, but generally it, it all is kind of same architecture, all that stone exterior stuff. Um, but again, like, you're coming from Baltimore, but you've been to Wake, and I don't know how many other college campuses you've been to, but it is it is different and unique from from other places. So, like, help me help me with uh, how you would how you, what it's actually like, right? Like, is, is that is, is Regal? I don't know if Regal or yeah, that's a, that, that's that's a great word for it. I mean, I felt like when I was there, I was like, this place is elite. You know, and and again, I went to school in the city, and I didn't have a lot of. It wasn't like my family. We grew up uh, touring college campuses. <laughs> we just didn't do that. I mean, my brother and sister and I were going to college. My sister went to Loyola in Baltimore, which is an urban campus. My brother went to James Madison in Virginia. Um, so those, that's kind of what I knew. It wasn't like I had been on a lot of college campuses. But when I got there, I'm like, this, this place is different. This is, this is there. I mean, I could go, I could go to a lot of places. I, my suspicion is there aren't many places like this. Um, so I felt like it was elite. And then, you know, you're, you're a high school senior and, you know, Grant Hill and Tony Lang and uh, Cherokee Park, all these guys you watch just win national championships are there and you walk into Cameron and it, it's unique and you've seen it on TV. You've seen the Cameron craze, but you walk in there and this place is just different. Um, 
and and obviously coach was was one of a kind as well so um when i i I knew when i was there on the visit uh this this is it's not going to get better than this like this is where i'm this is where i'm going um and you know again you have all these plans going into this you do not commit on your visits you take all your visits like all that all that all that stuff that sounds wonderful in theory but you know like eventually you got to follow your own heart so visited had a great visit my lad went to church with coach k on sunday morning and went to the airport and flew out and remember getting home and basically tell him like that's where i want to go to school and i was supposed to visit north carolina the next weekend uh tell my coaches and my coaches really wanted me to visit they you know like are you sure this like but you, you've committed and i'm like you've committed to taking visits i'm like yeah but i don't want to waste any more time like i know where i want to go like why would i do something when i already have arrived at a decision like that doesn't even as a 17 year old like that doesn't make a ton of sense to me so i committed i called and committed and uh yeah All right, so that's it for part one. Okay, stay tuned for part two. Gets really, really, really good, including, including, wait till you hear how and when he was offered to be an assistant coach at Duke. You're not going to believe it. In the meantime, remember to download, subscribe, rate, review, send it to a buddy. Um, this is great stuff. This is the kind of thing I know so many of you are assistant coaches or basketball guys and you're driving to a game, you're driving to a tournament, you're driving to see a kid play. Maybe you're driving to see Duke play. Um, you're driving to Cameron and send it to a friend because that's what it's meant for. Pay it forward. You learn about stories about life and people and uh, spoken word is, is so easy to ingest. A reminder, the Doug Gottlieb show is daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Man, my thanks to C. Bojowski. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. Winning is an everyday mindset. And we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.